Welcome to this week's Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today are Kate Bealey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and James Baxter, Managing Partner of Tideway Investment Partners. Last week, the Financial Conduct Authority published the interim findings of its Retirement Outcomes Review, a study which looks at how the retirement income market has been evolving since pension freedoms were introduced in April 2015. James, first of all, what were the main pension freedoms which were introduced in 2015? Okay, well, I guess the main thing was around not buying annuities. So there used to be a rule that when you got to age 75, you had to buy an annuity, and that was um, removed. Uh, And also, um, there was a removal of a death tax. Um, So there weren't weren't massive changes in some ways, but it was kind of the way it was announced. Um, George Osborne very famously stood up and said in Parliament, nobody ever has to... Uh, buy an annuity ever again and there's no doubt that the shockwaves from that sort of rippled out and it has changed it's had a significant impact on the way people are dealing with their investments at, at retirement basically in their pension investments yeah i mean to be honest i mean it sounds all good if people you know have um, more choice so why is the financial regulator conducting a study on pension freedoms? Are there any problems? Well, they, uh, I think they were always a little bit behind the curve. Um, the Treasury, uh, you know, announced the pension freedoms before they necessarily had time to get their, you know, to get their sort of view on it. Um, I think they worry that people are going to run out of money, basically. So they're going to um, underestimate their own longevity, how long they're going to live, and they're going to make a mess of the investments. Those are the two things that people are that the FCA is really worried about people have saved hard in their pension schemes they want people to get good value for money when they get to retirement they don't want them to make bad investment decisions and they want them to be sensible with their money I guess and 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 not spend it too quickly what does the regulator propose doing about this well um the first thing is that they've just done a big review now we're 18 months into it to actually find out what's going on um and uh, there's a few things that they've they've highlighted. I mean, the first thing is that um, uh, uh, about 72% of all people are now accessing their pension fund before they kind of retire. So um, they're taking out some or all of their tax-free cash uh, in their, from 55 onwards, but they're not accessing the income. Um, and that they reckon 72% of, of pensioners now are accessing their pot before... Uh, age 65 on a partial basis so that's a kind of new trend you know historically with pensions you used to get your cash lump sum and income at the same time when you retired now people are seeing that as a separate kind of transaction and they're taking the cash early and then they're going to come back to the to the income later and lots of people obviously are working on longer so Mm. they're accessing the cash in their late 50s and then working on until their mid 60s or even late 60s so that's one thing and then they've they're you know they're confirming what everybody kind of knows, which is that fewer people are buying annuities and more and more people are doing drawdown. So that's that's the other thing. And then they're a little bit concerned basically about those people doing drawdown uh, on their own who are doing it themselves, and they are worried that they're going to make some bad choices and they're going to use some expensive products and perhaps inappropriate investments. Uh, they haven't actually said what they're going to do about it yet, but they're hinting at a few things, which is. Um, you know, possibly a cap on prices, uh, on, on costs for a, a drawdown product where the investor is on his own without an advisor. So, um, you know, that's one area. Uh, you know, um, 
they're also trying to encourage people to shop around. They've been on this this uh, missive for some time Indeed, now. So with yeah, annuities, before pension freedoms, exactly. Yeah. So they've been trying to get people to shop around with annuities, but they're also trying to get people to shop around for drawdown. Um, and so they're 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 looking and thinking about sort of price comparison and how you might do that simply in drawdown. Okay. Do you think these would be effective measures, or what should the regulator be doing? Um, yeah, I think it, I mean clearly they they uh, it's right for them to look at it. I think that you know one thing that's quite interesting. I mean we, you know we're in the, uh, we do a lot of DB transfers. It's quite interesting for us on a number of points. Firstly, you can't access your money early with a DB transfer, and that's one of the big reasons we find why people are doing it is to follow that trend. But we also know that they're not accessing their tax-free cash to buy Lamborghinis, which was the big headline. Mm. Um, and we see well, people... A few speedboats were Yeah, exactly. We people but, um, see people doing yeah. incredibly sensible mm. things with the tax-free cash. Surprise, surprise. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, I think top five things to do would probably be things like paying down credit card, paying down car debts, expensive loans. People are paying off mortgages where they're on repayment schedules. Uh, and they're you know helping their kids onto the property ladder those well, sorts of that's not so good for retirement well it's not so good yeah. for retirement but it, you know mm. in a family context it could be you know it could be the most urgent need could be in the next generation versus the current you know the current owner of that pension account so i think uh look there's always concern about what people are doing with their money um and I think uh, we were just talking about it before we started. I think they've definitely been very concerned about scams in the drawdown mm-hmm. market and people ending up in um, very inappropriate investments, uh, whether that's driven by themselves or driven by uh, you know rogue advisors. Yeah, I mean, these are only proposals. It's, at the moment, it's all talking in hot air. <laughs> so what can investors do in the meantime to try and do to try and avoid problems, you know, like scams or spending their money inappropriately or running out of money before they die? Well, I think that I think there's two big things to, to think about. One is the, you know, the providers that you're using. What product providers are you holding your pension funds in pre and post access? And making sure that you're with, you know, good quality firms who've got big balance sheets and, you know, that the money is safe. That's the first thing. So, um, you know, there there are these SIP providers uh, out there who can facilitate pensions. And some of those are quite small businesses. And the FCA have been on on their case for a while as well. But, you know, I would I would encourage people to stay with the large uh the larger companies, uh, you know, with the bigger brands and, and the safety. So so that, you know, ensures the security of your funds and hopefully also ensures that you're paying a reasonable price for the services. The second thing then is probably is to is the investments. So, mm. you, you know, people have got to take responsibility for their investments up to and beyond retirement. Um, you know, and there's a lot of stuff lying around that perhaps doesn't look quite right. So, you know, things like lifestyle funds where which were set up for people who were expected to buy an annuity mm. um, and therefore disinvested them as they got towards retirement age, that's probably not the most sensible solution if, in fact, you're going to do drawdown and keep a large sum of chunk of your money invested for a lot longer. You might want to have a much diff- more different uh, investment plan. Yeah, And then, you know, the sensible stuff about trying to make sure that you are selling things at a profit. So, you you know, when you're starting to access the money, you need to make sure you've got enough 
safe investments in your account to 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 provide the withdrawals without having to sell things at a loss basically if we do have another market downturn okay um now are there any problems relating to pension freedoms that the regulator hasn't highlighted in this interim report oh that's a good question <laughs> um i i think it's early days i mean uh well the, uh, one area that they're particularly interested in is in product development, uh, and and they're 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 basically saying they're a bit disappointed mm. in that um, uh, there is no great innovation of products coming through. Um, so I think that if if we did start to see a lot of new products coming on the market, then you know it's important that people are getting value for money and um, interesting enough, uh, MetLife. I don't know if you are familiar with them, but they. They, you know, they were one of the last companies providing guaranteed products mm. in the at retirement space, and they've just pulled out, and their products got very expensive, and so, you know, potentially offering quite poor value. So, yeah. so I think that you know, there is a demand for guaranteed income, uh, mm. probably not guaranteed lifetime income, um, but I think people have got to be careful to make sure that what they get is an appropriate product that's not too expensive uh, and gives good value for money. Okay, thank you, James. Some really useful suggestions. Renowned US investor Warren Buffett has captured the imagination of many investors who try to follow his principles in the hope of having even a bit of his success. And these don't just include private investors. Castlefield, CFP, SDL, UK Buffettology Fund also looks to emulate Warren Buffett's approach. This fund has done very well by applying a Buffett-style approach to UK shares, as its manager explains in the interview in this week's magazine and the website. But the problem is, with Brexit looming, whoever got a manager, their investment approach and the underlying companies they invest in, if investor sentiment turns on the UK market and share prices go down, it's all going to come to nothing. So, James, should investors with exposure to UK equities be concerned as Brexit approaches? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting topic, isn't it? And Brexit is dominating uh, news headlines uh, and it's in de- definitely dominating, uh, um, well, it's having an impact on market movements. I think it impacts on two fronts, really. One is, you know, the value of the pound. So what we tend to see is, is is fluctuations in the pound around some of the news on Brexit, uh, and that in turn is going to affect your returns if you're investing overseas. Um, and you know it has it is it's got an impact on the economy. We're being told that you know um, companies aren't investing as much, and we might suffer an economic downturn potentially. That's been the threat that's been hung over uh, Brexit right from outset. So. I think people are right to have it on their radar. Uh, whether it's something that you should be particularly trading around or trying to position yourself ahead of, I'm not so sure about. I think that, um, you know, these days we live in a global world and therefore to have all your eggs in the UK equity market, uh, a market probably is, is a little bit old-fashioned. And so most investors should be looking to get some overseas exposure uh, uh, which in turn will give them some currency exposure to other currencies other than the pound. So if the pound were to fall further, um, you know, then you, you'd benefit from that. Uh, and also if the UK economy ends up you know, disengaging from the rest of the global economy, then again, if you've got more international spread in your investments, you're going to be a bit more insulated from that. 
I think as well, um, you know, the, the, the things that markets hate the most is uncertainty and fear, and we've got that at the moment. So quite possibly, and, and I'm very, very reticent to sort of call the value of markets and, and short-term mm-hmm. pricing, but quite possibly a lot of the fear and, and downside of Brexit is priced in. I mean, the the dollar-pound exchange rate is is pretty low. The euro... You know, we're in, uh, around 1.1, we're a 1.4 euros to the pound mm. only 18 months ago, two years ago. So, you know, I think a lot of the damage caused by the uncertainty of Brexit is probably already priced in. Uh, and and therefore, you know, potentially, as things become clearer, either way, you know, whether, it, whether we end up not Brexiting or whether we end up sorting out a Brexit of one form or the other, as the uncertainty disappears, you know, potentially you might see the pound recover and you might also see UK equities doing better. Does that mean then um, that, you know, this could actually be a buying opportunity or do you think that it, UK equities could be a value trap? There's a there's a general consensus that, you know, UK and European equities look better value than US equities at the moment. Uh, and so, you know, that and that is probably caused by the uncertainty in Europe. Global investors have probably been running shy of Europe and the UK because of the machinations of Brexit. Uh, and US equities, you know, on a number of scales, you know, look pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, potentially uh, we do see some smart, uh, inverted commas, asset managers uh, shifting towards European uh, exposure, and but that's presumably continental European rather than UK. It, yeah. it, it can be, yes, yeah. I think you know. I think there is a feeling that you might be safer in the euro than than the pound short term. Uh, but you know, I personally think that you know, for private investors, almost ignoring it is probably the best thing. And to you know, look for fundamental. You know, going back to your Buffettology fund. I don't think it's going to impact that that fund performance that much. Okay. I would say his stock selections uh, are going to be much more of a determinant of how well that fund does versus you know compared to Brexit. So, so what should investors do? I mean, should it be heavily in the UK? Should they have a bit in the UK? You know, should it be di- you know should it be diversified because we were talking about diversity earlier. Yeah, well, I think I think if you if you're it depends what you're trying to do with your money. If you're you know speculating purely for capital gains. Uh, then it then you know you can pretty much do what you like if you're planning for retirement and you've got to spend money in pounds then it makes sense to keep your investments concentrated in pounds and then you're not taking the currency risk because if it goes against as let's say the you know uh, my prediction was right mm-hmm. and that w- once brexit sorted out the pound recovered strongly if you're sitting in a lot of international assets in different currencies when that happens you could find your investment returns wiped out by depreciation in in the currency or from appreciation of sterling so i think if you're if you're planning on a a pension portfolio or a portfolio that's going to generate income in retirement you definitely you you need to always have a decent amount of sterling investments if you're going to spend mostly sterling Um, some diversification is always a good thing but i think you need to be a little bit more careful if you're planning to spend that money versus if you're simply investing for for speculative gain, if that makes sense. Mm. With that in mind, are there any areas of UK equities that might be better than others? Because I obviously, I'm a, I think, and a lot of listeners will be aware that um, the FTSE 100 is actually quite international. It makes around seventy percent of its earnings from overseas. Yeah, and post Brexit, we've probably had the 250 in the small cap slightly underperforming. Mm. 
the FTSE 100, which has benefited from the pound depreciation. So, you know, if the pound reappreciates, possibly those uh, more domestic orientated markets might do better. The t- you know, and the 250 and the small caps definitely give you more exposure to UK type companies than those big multinationals, as you say, um, who've got Leonora, have got the uh, mm. their income in, in lots of different currencies. Yeah, with that in mind, though, um, people approaching retirement um, may need to, let's say, lower their risk, perhaps not as much as they used to if they're not buying annuity, but nevertheless perhaps not be quite as risky if they've made a lot. And smaller companies are associated with higher risk. Um, I think the other thing about smaller companies is they are more exposed to the UK economy. Um, and if we do have a hard Brexit, there might be a recession, which would hit these companies. So isn't that a reason not to have them? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it's... Um uh what what i would say on that is is is, is coming back to my you know, my idea of you know making sure you've got the right investments to spend i mean long term you should only be investing in the, whether it's mid cap small caps or large caps in equity markets with a decent 10 to 15 year time horizon and on that basis those 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 funds should do well um you know short term uh, I think that the whole equity market is, you know, generally is, is quite a challenging place to be if you're trying to forecast returns over two, three, four, five years. So I think if you're planning on spending and having to produce an income, you've got to look at the yield of your portfolio. And if that's not enough, then you've got to hold the, the difference between the yield and what you actually want to spend. You've got to hold that in fairly low risk investments, basically. Okay. Now, talking of low risk, if investors can't stomach volatility, regardless of the long-term course of the UK equity market or any other market, how can they dampen volatility in their portfolios? Right. Well, this is a this is a really interesting topic because uh, uh, on the back of the financial crisis and QE, we do have this unbelievably weird uh, interest rate um, environment where uh, government bonds are yielding, you know, 2%. Um, and... The impact of that is that, you know, there's a large number of funds out there in the traditional fixed income. I mean, generally, fixed income has been the way to stabilize Mm. portfolios. But what we have now is we have whole swathes of the fixed income market where after fees, you're probably going to earn less than inflation. So that means to dampen your portfolio, you're basically you've got to throw money away over a period of time, which is not a great place to be. So I think people have got to do a bit more work on the fixed income portions of their portfolio. Mm. You can't simply go out there and buy a UK guilt fund or indeed a UK corporate bond fund because the return on that after fees um, is probably just not going to you know, keep, keep your money up with inflation even. Um, so you need to get into that a little bit higher yield area of mm. the fixed income markets is, is you yeah. know, where we see there's a really nice opportunity what what kind of funds would you suggest well there's that? two ways of there's two ways of uh, of increasing your yield one is to take credit risk so that's buying into you know companies where maybe there's some doubt that they can um, pay back their uh uh, so it would be high-yield bond funds. Exactly. Yeah. That would be your traditional high-yield bond fund. Mm. But there's also areas of the market um, uh, which are perhaps a little you know, less well-known, which is, is the what you might call the hybrid capital market, which is bonds from bigger institutions, but where there's caveats in the bonds about you know when they get repaid or whether the company's got the right to skip coupons. So you've got things like subordinated bonds mm. issued by Lloyds Bank, Barclays Bank, 
you've got perpetual bonds where there are call dates. So it's not absolutely guaranteed you're going to get your money back. Um, but these things tend to generally, because there's that uncertainty, they tend to pay a higher yield than um, than, a, than a straightforward vanilla corporate bond fund or a, or a gilt fund. But they're not. You're not probably taking quite so much corporate risk, mm. so much credit risk as you would do if you went into a high yield fund. What kind of funds can you find these issues in? Uh, you have to work quite hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, would, for example, would strategic bond funds stri- be a good option? Strategic bond they invest across the fixed income market. Strategic bond fund really is where option. you're going to find that type of fund okay. exactly right, Leonora. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, you can see lots of examples of strategic bond funds in our IC Top 100 funds list. Yeah. Thank you, James. Some really helpful points. And you can also see what the manager of Castlefield CFP SDL UK Buffetology Fund thinks Brexit will mean for investing in this week's issue of a magazine on the website. If you've chosen a good broker, then hopefully getting to the investments you want will be both easy and not too expensive. But as of all service providers, things can change and when they do, your broker might not necessarily be the best choice for you. Kate, a major broker who a number of investors chronicle readers use, is implementing some substantial changes. Who is this and what are they doing? Uh, So this is Barclays Stockbrokers, which is moving to Smart Investor. So it's basically totally overhauling its platform. It's typically been something which has favoured kind of frequent uh, share dealers and those investing in shares. So it's overhauled and simplified the charging structure so that basically now all types of investment are charged in the same way. Previously, uh, it used to charge a flat fee of £36 a year, inclusive VAT, to hold things like stocks, shares, investment trusts, ETFs, and used to charge separately a 0.35% fee on fund assets. So now if you invest with Smart Investor, um, it will charge or you will be charged a percentage-based fee on everything you hold. So it's going to cost 0.2% uh, per year to hold funds and it will be 0.1% to hold things like stocks and shares. Uh, the dealing costs have also been revamped. So previously, Barclays used to levy this tiered fee. So frequent traders would pay less than infrequent traders and the cost ranged from 11.95 down to 5.95. Um, now, fund dealing will be three pounds and it will cost £6 to deal in other investments. Finally, these charges will be levied per customer rather than customers paying, so for example, a fee for an ISA and then a separate fee for their SIP, a separate fee for a dealing account. It's basically the ethos behind it is just bringing it into line with some of the other low-cost online brokers, which which offer kind of more comparable fees to deal in funds, deal in stocks and shares, and don't give these incentives to frequent share dealers. Okay, so appealing basically to a wider range of investors and um, I guess some 21st century investors because uh, most people don't just wheel a, wheel a deal in, in shares, do they? No, well, well quite. I mean, the, the main benefit will be to long-term buy and hold fund investors um, because it is now far cheaper than it used to be to hold funds on this platform and also likely cheaper than many other low-cost brokers because Barclays really has undercut um, many others on the market for certain portfolio sizes um, if you're just holding funds. So, for example, if you were to hold £250,000 only in funds, it would now potentially be cheaper than with someone like AJ Bell um, or Best Invest 
for larger portfolio sizes, that's not the case. Um, but yeah, so th I mean, basically, the people to benefit from this fund investors and those who, who don't trade that much. And also, actually, potentially people who bank with Barclays already, because this new platform will be in kind of one, uh, you know, easy to use, ideally online portal. So you'd be able to see all your accounts in one place. Okay, now you mentioned quite a few types of investors, but um, can you tell us a bit more about who isn't going to benefit from this and what the situation is for them? Yeah, I mean, this this has been a fairly contentious um, shift and many of our readers have, have been in touch about it because the people who potentially won't benefit are those who might have gone and used the service in the first place. It's really people with very large share portfolios who will pay more in annual fees under this model and they might want to actually consider moving somewhere else. But just to explain why that is, um, the old charging structure had this 35, sorry, 36 pounds a year flat fee, regardless of your portfolio size, to hold stocks, shares, investment trusts, ETFs. Now that has been replaced with this 0.1% annual charge on all of the assets you hold. So if you hold a very large portfolio, you're going to have changed from paying just £36 a year to potentially £200 a year. Um, should say that that's because the cost will be capped for current Barclays investors um, at portfolio sizes of 200000 for three years. But basically, it means that you could go from paying £36 a year to hundreds of pounds a year in annual charges if you hold large share portfolios due to this switch from a flat fee to a percentage-based model. Okay, now you mentioned um, switching brokers. Um, are there many more cost-effective options? Well, it, when you're looking at what broker to opt for, it, you really need to think about what it is that you want or your priority because there are so many different uh, charges and you know such a range of fees that it, you really need to work out what it is that you want to um, do first. So for example, uh, brokers which levy flat fees, which as I've said, would be better for large portfolios, um, would be people like Hargreaves Lansdowne, who caps their annual fee for holdings of stocks and shares, investment trusts and ETFs at £45 a year. The Share Centre and Interactive Investor also have flat annual fees. So those might be places that you want to look at. Um, same for AJ Bell, caps its annual fee at £30 a year for share-only portfolios held in ISIS. Okay, thank you, Kate. Some um, useful suggestions. And you can see Kate's full roundup of the changes at Barclays stockbrokers and how the main brokers' costs compare to each other in this week's Investors Chronicle on the website. That brings us to the end of today's podcast, so it just remains to thank Kate Bealey, Deputy Personal Finance Editor at Investors Chronicle, and James Baxter, Managing Partner of Tideway Investment Partners. You can read more on investing Warren Buffett style and the best brokers for you in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle on the website. Thank you for listening and have a good weekend. <laughs>